may be seated. Thank you so much, and thank you all for coming. I just left our gathering room with a tremendous, I think the largest since I've been here, group of new, new and potential, new potential members of Grace. Um, a big room full of folks up there that are learning and seeing if this is what God wants for them. So thank you for coming into the service today. Thanks for tuning in out there. I know that there are so many of you that will reach out to us through the week and tell us from all over the country and in different parts of the world that God is using the ministry of grace to bless you. So we appreciate you. We appreciate the worship ministry of this church and uh, what the Lord is doing. We're going to celebrate also at the end in a very short video some of the things God did at Boombash. We're going to uh, celebrate the most important stuff from last week. Take your Bibles and head back to 1 John chapter 3, please, if you're not already heading that way. 1 John 3. Um, this whole series in 1 John, we're talking about blessed assurance, light, now we're transitioning to love, and then we'll talk about life with Christ. And really, this is all about how do I know that I know that I know. So many of us struggle with doubt. So many times we struggle with our faith. Is Jesus really the Christ? Is God really there? Is he love me? Is he listening to me? Is this, is this whole thing real or not? So many times we struggle, and John's writing this letter in large part to say, yes. Yes, you can know. Yes, you can be assured. Yes, you can be strong in the faith. In fact, we see that in our memory verse. You guys know John 3.16. Let's learn 1 John 3.16. Say this with me, would you? By this, we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Good. Now look at it for a moment. By this, we know love. Laid down his life for us. Let's say it again, this time with some blanks. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Good. So, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, right? So he laid down his life for us, and now the Lord is saying, are you willing to lay down your life for others? Particularly brothers particularly brothers in the family, but even more than that, we'll see that in a moment. Last week, we had a song or a lyric from a song, I'm a child of God, yes I am. We said we're often misunderstood by the world as children of God because we're awaiting a total transformation, but we need to avoid habitual sin and practice righteousness because Jesus made purity possible. But being a Christian is about a lot more than just doing the right things and avoiding the wrong things. So what he's going to do here, and you'll see this in the first verse, he's going to transition us, John is, from talking about the light of God. Light just means purity. You know that. Holiness. It means doing the right thing. I'm walking in the light. What it means to walk in the light. I'm not doing anything in the dark. I'm not doing anything hidden. I'm walking in the light. But now he's going to transition from walking in the light to walking in love. What does that look like? The world has some really weird definitions of love these days. We'll go all the way back to 1984, the best time for music, Tina Turner. Y'all remember Miss Tina Turner? This was her first number one hit. She was the oldest female recording artist at the time to have a number one hit at age 44. Man, that doesn't sound very old to me anymore. But at 44, she asked this question. Do y'all know this song? Do y'all know it? Come on, prove to me you know it. You ready? One, two, three. What's love got to do, got to do with it? Come on. What's love but a secondhand emotion? Yeah, y'all are heathens too. Okay. 
What's love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Now, Tina was saying in that, casual love, man. You can shack up, you can do your thing, you can be touchy-feely, but you don't need love. It's just a second-hand emotion. Now, uh, people would later say there was more depth to that song because actually she had been in a long-term abusive relationship with her husband, Ike. But I'm not going to get into all the backstory of that. I'm simply going to say, is Tina right or wrong? Love is just a second-hand emotion. No, she's wrong. Good singer, bad theologian, okay? Good dancer, but bad theologian. The reality is that love is critical. Biblically speaking, love is key. And biblically speaking, love is so much more than an emotion, firsthand or secondhand. So when we live this Christian life and we tackle this question, what's love got to do with it? Biblically, the answer is everything. Love's got to do with all of it. And we got to start with loving God right, and then we love God right, we start loving people right. Let's see what the Word says to us. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. We'll just go verses 10 to 15. 1 John 3, 10. In this, the children of God, see we are talking about being a child of God last week, so watch, in the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, made known, revealed. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Now watch, that's talking about if you're not walking in the light, you're not of God. That means you're a child of the devil. Can't be in another family, either the devil's family or God's family. But watch what John does. Now he changes course. He transitions in the next phrase. He said, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. See, he just moved us from light to love. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we, brothers and sisters, should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and he murdered his brother, Abel. And why did he murder him? Because his, Cain's works, were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know, look at this assurance phrase, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, what an incredible section of this letter. As we transition to God is light, to God is love, and that we as Christ followers should be people of love. Help us to rightly divide the word of truth. To understand what you mean by love. To understand what Christian love looks like and not let the world provide our definitions for us. I pray that you would speak here to every heart. Moreover, Lord, for those in that class upstairs, I pray that you would give them discernment. And if they're called to unite with this fellowship, that that would become clear to them today. And if not, that would be all right as well. But we just want to know that we know to follow your will to please you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, guys, let's be seated, and let's talk about a couple of fundamental truths about the nature and importance of love. First thing I want you to jot down if you have our grace notes is this. Love is foundational and functional in the life of a true Christian. So it's the basis, and it should work out in practice if you're a true Christian today. So verse 10 summarized what had gone before. Let's walk in light. Let's practice righteousness. Let's do the right thing. And then he couples that with how does that look? Well, it looks like loving your brother. 
And by the way, brothers, not just restricted to other born-again Christians, love should always start in the house of God. But you gotta, the Bible says we've got to love our neighbor. We've got to love anybody. We've got to love everybody. In fact, Jesus would teach us in Matthew 22 that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then you love your neighbor as yourself. Look at verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's almost verbatim to what John already wrote in chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him. It appears again in chapter 2, verse 7. Then we see the same root word of the word message. This is what we've heard at the end of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 25. So three different times, now four, John has talked about this message. The message of love. This is a great word. Listen to it. Angelia. Not Angelia Jolie. That's not what you should think. Angelia. Take off the I-E. A-N-G-E-L-I-A. Sorry, not E-I-A. Take that off. A-N-G-E-L-I-A. What, do you, what word do you get? You've got to think in your head now. A-N-G-E-L. Yeah. <laughs> Angel. Not that complicated. Angel. That is a Greek word transliterated. It's not even translated, meaning it comes straight out of the Greek language. Angel means messenger. That's all it means. It's funny to me that in the Bible, angels are never cute little girls or chubby little cherubs that are flying around like that. Never, ever, ever in the Bible. They are fearsome, and they're actually all men um, when you attach gender to them in the Bible, though I don't know that there's gender necessarily, but their names and their appearance. Uh, The point is, though, that the angels were and are messengers. When you change the ending of it, you get message, so like evangelical evangelical, uh, E-V, and then the word angel sitting there, so it means good message. What John is teaching us here is that there is a good message. The message for us, we've been hearing it all along, you can hear it in the Old Testament, you can hear it in the New Testament, is that God is a God of love, and if we're going to be God-fearers and Christ followers, we've got to be people of love. Righteousness demonstrates our membership in God's family That may only be cold and clinical. In other words, if I just do the right thing and avoid the wrong thing. But if I do the right things and learn to avoid the wrong things on the foundation of love, then it's starting to mean something. Let me offer you some key statements. I took these and modified them from a book by David Jackman. Dr. Jackman wrote a great work called The Message of John's Letters. And so I took a few of these sort of ideas and modified them from that work. And and I love what he says here. Love is righteousness in relationship with others. In other words, I'm going to treat you the right way if I love you. Don't get confused about that big word righteousness. I'm just going to do the right thing by you if I love you biblically. The second truth I want you to see is that love is not primarily an emotion, but an act of will. It is not feeling warm towards other people in a general way, but doing good specifically. That's why you hear me talk very frequently about detesting the concept of falling in love or falling out of love. No, 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 no. This is not biblical. You fall in a hole. You fall out of a tree. You don't fall in love, fall out of love. You choose to love. Because let's be honest, if you're with somebody a long time, there are days then they seem unlovable, and there are days you seem unlovable. There may be seasons, there may be years, there may be decades for some of you where you seem unlovable, but you're not. But you got to choose to love. And love as a feeling only is inadequate and unbiblical. 
No marriage, no real relationship can survive on feelings alone. Feelings come and go. Love has to be expressed in caring and sharing and hard work and loyalty and generosity and long-suffering. I watched it unfold, folks. I'm telling you. I watched it when my mother became not so much spouse but caregiver and parent to my father. A big, strong, smart businessman, and a business owner, entrepreneur who couldn't tell you his own name. And I watched my mother demonstrate agape, biblical love, because she had said 45 years earlier, I believe my timing is right there, for better and for worse, in sickness and in health. It's a choice. And if you think it's feelings only, eventually your feelings will change. Now, this kind of love does not grow naturally in the sinful soil of this world. This kind of love is a gift from God. That's why Paul, describing love in 1 Corinthians 13, I'm using this text this coming weekend in a wedding. I'm going to talk to him about this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't rude. Love doesn't puff itself up. Love doesn't boast. Love doesn't keep records of wrongs. Paul would conclude that little section to the Corinthian believers with love never fails. But in real life, why does it feel like the flame of love grows dim? Why does it seem that there's a lack of love in a relationship? Let's go back to the brothers. These brothers were righteous, or so they say. In 1964, they had a song. They said, you've lost that love and feeling. Have you ever heard it? Whoa, that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. And then they moan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Some of you feel this way even today. Now there's no welcome look in your eyes when I reach for you. And you start to criticize the little things I do. It makes me just feel like crying, baby. Because baby... Something beautiful's dying. Man, those lyrics. Y'all know that? You've lost that love and feeling. Come on. Whoa, that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Boom, boom. No. See, I want to change the musical landscape for you, and I always want you to say, ah, he ruined another one, and you think of the sermon. What's the problem with, I love that song, but what's the problem with the Righteous Brothers lyric? It's in the line, you've lost that loving feeling. Dude, it's not a feeling. It's a choice. You lose feelings. Feelings come and go. Feelings change like the wind. Biblical love is more than a feeling. More than a... No, I've already done that one. So just remember, John, the same John, tells us how to bring back love. Did you know that? In marriage counseling, many, many, many times, I don't do it much now, but when I was doing a lot of it, I almost always went to Revelation chapter 2. John, the same John, 
gets exiled to the Isle of Patmos, he writes the book called Revelation, the Revelation, the Apocalypsis, the Unveiling, the last book of our Bible. He writes to seven churches of Asia Minor, the first being Ephesus. And to the Christians of Ephesus, he says, look, you've done some things well, but I have this against you. You lost your first love. And then this same John, inspired by the Spirit of God, says, I'm going to teach you how to get back your love. Not your feeling, your love. John says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Now they're talking about love for Jesus. But it's the same relationally. Remember therefore from where you've fallen. Repent and do the first works. I'm going to give it to you with three R's because I'm a preacher and that's what we do. Ready? Remember, remember, repent, and respond. You ought to jot that down. That's right there from Revelation 2.5. Remember, repent, respond. So, so I don't feel the way I felt about you. Well, it's not about feeling. So now I'm going to choose to remember. What brought us together? Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, what, whatever it is. What, what brought us together? Let's remember that. Repent means I'm going to now let God change my mind. Metanoiaeo, I'm changing my mind, which changes my heart, which changes my hands and my feet means the way I act around you, the way I respond to you. And then, of course, that is the R, respond. Go back and do the first work. So my wife, if Cindy and I are struggling, if we're going through a rough patch, one of the things we've done well for over 26 years is we date one another quite a lot. Now with my kids older, it's great. But my kids learned years and years ago, don't whine when Dad said, I'm taking Mama out. Or you go out, we're staying home. <laughs> you you just got to understand that there are times when we just need to go back and do the stuff we did. We need to go hang out. We need to go take a walk, to go to the movies, go have a picnic, get out on the boat. Whatever it is, we need to do that together because our world doesn't revolve around our children. As welcome additions to our home, we love them and they're wonderful, but they're not the center of the universe. And the truth is, chances are they'll be old and grown and move one day. Chances are they won't be under our roof so then who do I want to look at across the table? A stranger? No, my wife, who I've invested in and who's invested in me. And we remember what brought us together. And we repent. We, we think rightly about one another. We go back and respond and do the first works. Next week, come back and I'm going to unpack that more and talk about love as action. We're going to talk about what it looks like even more specifically. But before John tells us what it looks like more specifically, he tells us what it doesn't look like. And he says, you remember that guy Cain? You remember Adam and Eve's first and second kid, Cain and Abel? They didn't have love. God asked him for a sacrifice. I don't have time to unpack all this. But Cain brings something of the land, and then Abel brings something of the, the uh, flock. And I, I, don't, I don't have time to unpack it. But let me simply say God accepted Abel's sacrifice, and he did not accept Cain's. And Cain was hot. And Cain rose up and murdered his brother Cain's anger resented, his anger stemmed from the fact that he resented God's acceptance of his brother's sacrifice. Some of you have broken relationships because of that green monster. That green monster of jealousy, resentment. Just as Cain resented Abel's righteousness, so the world will resent the righteousness of Christ's followers. They'll call us goody-two-shoes, holier than thou. Think you're better than me? No. I just know I'm forgiven. And you can be too. I don't think I'm better than anybody. But see, Christians should not be surprised when the world looks at us with hatred. 
I don't understand preachers, y'all. I don't understand preachers that get on national television and have huge platforms and say, well, you know, I, I, I don't want to talk about sin because that might offend somebody. I, I can't talk about hell anymore. I, I can't know if somebody's going to go to heaven or not because that could cause somebody to be, you know, have trauma. How much more trauma can you give somebody than hell? And why would we as men of God or people of God be afraid to stand up and say, look, quit walking in sin. Trust Jesus as your Savior. He's the only way to a relationship with God now and forever to get a full, eternal, and abundant life. It is Christ and Christ alone. Why can't God say that anymore? Why? So, well, if you just continue to walk in, yeah, but it's going to hurt their little feelings. Well, put your big boy pants on and your big girl pants on. This is life and death stuff. I don't understand guys that do that. In fact, I don't know that they're even preachers of the gospel. And I know that they'll have to answer one day, and it scares me. But the reality is, verse 13 says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. It hated Jesus first. And if I'm a Christ follower, a little Christ, a Christian, then I'm going to be hated sometimes. Well, so be it. The reality is history is filled with stories of persecution. Christians were getting slaughtered left and right. And do you know up to this very day, they continue to be slaughtered. More today than any time in the history of the church, even the Catholic church has recognized it. Pope Francis declared the 21st century has seen more Christians under siege than any time in the history of the church. Some of my dear friends in India are in fear for their life when they go out and worship Jesus right now because people hate the those who know the one true and living God. They don't want an authority in their life. They don't want anybody to say no. No, that's not good for you. No, you shouldn't do that. No, that's outside of God's bounds because love undefined is not love. Love with no limits is not love. If I could just get by and do anything and everything I wanted to do as Cindy's husband, then I would go too far and that would be love without limits. The Bible says love is defined Love has some rails that it stays on. And you see, action is the outcome of attitude. Verse 12, Cain was of the wicked one. He was a son of the devil. He murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. You see, John would tell, tell us that hatred led to murder. In, in other words... Human law judges actions committed, but God's law not only judges actions, it judges motive. If I look at my brother with hatred, I'm a murderer. If I look at her with lust, I'm an adulterer. If I hold on to a spirit of bitter hostility toward another and don't let that go, then can I really be walking in love with the Lord? Love is foundational and functional. What about your life? How will I know? Whitney said, don't trust your feelings. I agree. Don't trust your feelings. How will you know today if you're a loving person? I'm going to show you. You ready? I'm going to show you right now. This is how you're going to know. I love these mugs, these Yetis or whatever. We, we got some new ones for Grace. Check this out, y'all. Man, we're not giving ballpoint pens anymore. You come to Grace. You come visit me over here at the booth. You get a nice new Yeti style with a cool lid and... Um, Insulated, they work great for hot stuff, cold stuff. I carry one around all the time. Sometimes my Grace, sometimes my Yeti. Uh, there's a thing with these tumblers, though. You don't know what's inside. Most of the time in the earlier morning, I'm carrying coffee. 
Later in the day, I could have water. Sometimes I put a monster or two in there. You know what a monster is, right? Yeah. Not the gremlin, the drink. I don't preach with them, though. You'd be here all day. So uh, you don't know what's in here. And so a lot of times, if you see me around Grace during the week, I'm going to have my Yeti in my hand. I'm going to carry it to my meetings. I'm going to go, when I'm talking to people, I'll have my Yeti. You have no idea what's inside. But eventually, if I, oh, it's water, chill out. Look, eventually, eventually, if somebody coming down the hall and we're not paying attention and we just happen to bump one another, When you get bumped, we will soon discover what's on the inside. Because when you get bumped, just like when I get bumped, what's on the inside comes spilling out. Ha! That's good. I don't care who you are. (laughs) You know it's true. Because you can stand in this place, and we can worship Jesus, and we can say, abide with me. Abide with me. We can sing the songs of praise that God has ordained. And by the time you get to the main road, you can act like a crazy person. I personally would never do that. But some of y'all, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When somebody hits you, I'm talking about not just on the road, but on social media. Hello? When they say something that gets you the wrong way, what's inside comes spilling out. The unexpected knocks and irritations of life are an indicator, a very good indicator of what's inside. It's always easy and good and perfect, then you're not getting pressured at all. But when you get popped a few times and what's in comes spilling out, the world will know. And we got to make sure the love we declare in here is the love we demonstrate out there. That's why the world says, oh, a bunch of hypocrites. They go in there and praise Jesus. They live just like I do out here. Stop it. Cut it out. Some of y'all remember my stop it video? Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. Okay, look. Let's be real in here and out there. The world doesn't need more phony baloney Christians. They need folks that really love Jesus and readily admit we're not perfect. Readily admit we fall a lot. And when I fall, man, I'm sorry. I've messed up. Forgive me. Let's move on. Love is foundational, functional life of true Christian. Short point here. We'll bring it to a close. Love is an indispensable indicator of our new life in Christ. An indispensable indicator. We know that we've passed from death to life. How can I know, Bobby? How can I be sure that that phrase, by the way, means saved? We know that we're saved. He says that um, he says that later in the earlier in the Bible. The word oida, we know, it means perfect active in Greek. It simply means that it's a completed action in the past that stands in the present and the future. So that I know yesterday, or I knew it, I know it today, and I will always know it. That's how you say it in English. I know. And see, what he does here is he he talks about having faith in Christ and loving people. And he puts them together. Paul puts them together in Galatians 5. For in Christ Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So when we believe in God, God gives us more faith. And in that faith, we begin to develop love one for another. And so you're either... In the devil's family, child of the devil, or you're in God's family, 
child of God through Christ. And so how do we know? Look at these two key truths. Our former family is represented by Cain, hatred, while our new family is represented by Christ, love. And our love for fellow Christians confirms the reality of our faith. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. If you don't love your brother, you're abiding in death. John used that same phrase. Jesus said it in John 5, 24. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And he says that he has passed from death to life. He's passed from death to life. I, as a Christian, have passed from death to life. I'm not there with God yet, so I'm still learning, but I have gone from death to life through Christ. Reminds me of Ephesians 2.4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ Jesus. He's raised us up to sit in heavenly places. God has changed our hearts and our lives, and we show the world this by our love one for another. If we don't love our brother, then we're walking in hatred, and our eyes are blinded. We've got to have love one for another. God turns us from hate to love. And now I want to be careful on something as I close. Love is the evidence of our regeneration, not the cause of our regeneration. Okay? Loving our brother does not give us eternal life. Loving God and having faith in Christ gives us eternal life. You can know that you know that you know you're a Christian. Not because you feel like a Christian. Not because you have warm, fuzzy emotion. Cut the emotion out of it. And I'm not saying being a Christian doesn't have an emotional component, but it is not at all foundational. Whether you feel like it or not, take God at his word. If I believe in Jesus as the Bible describes Jesus, the finished work of Christ who died in my place at Calvary, who was buried and raised by the power of God the third day, who is living now interceding for me, if I believe him, then I have eternal life. And God will give me love for my brother if I walk with him by faith. Because love is foundational and functional in the life of a true Christian. And love is an indispensable indicator of our new life in Christ. I want to close with a story, and it's very personal, and I've got to be very careful. I tried to be careful in the first service, and I've never shared this publicly. I've shared it with a bunch of my pastor buddies because they need encouragement. Because I've got a lot of guys going through this even right now. And I want to be respectful to former churches. But you guys know me. I tell a lot of stories that are personal because I want you to know I'm trying to be transparent with you guys and working these truths out in my own life. When God called us to a church in rural North Carolina, a town of 1,500 outside of Mayberry, Mount Airy, um, it really it, it, it looked like an area where you wouldn't expect God to show up. But God showed up in incredible ways. And within 13 months, we were tearing the facilities down, all except a gymnasium, and we would rebuild from the ground up. We had a large cemetery beside the church. We couldn't move the church grounds. God added land to our church. God was growing the church very rapidly in those days. The church was 115, year, 115 years old when I became pastor. And I know this is going to shock some of you, 
But not everybody in that small rural country church was happy that things were changing rapidly. Shocking, right? Um, in fact, we did some things quickly, but we did a lot of the other things slowly. We kept our drums in the back room, did not put drums on stage for two years because they weren't ready for drums yet. They just weren't ready. So some things we did slow, some things were fast, but there were some folks in church that just didn't like all the new people, all the change. It changes the dynamic when a church grows rapidly. And um, some people took it out on me. I was the young green pastor. I was in seminary at the time working on an M- I know I'd finished an MDiv, working on a PhD. We had child two, three, and four while we were in seminary. And I'll be honest with you, it really, really hurt to see God saving all these people and then all of these other new members coming. We were by far the fastest growing church in our region. And we were seeing the Lord do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask or think. And I assumed, naively, that everyone would like that. Not everybody liked it. And I remember hearing some names and some things about, you know, and most were great. But again, I want to be very careful and generic here. A few just said some really ugly things. Oh, that preacher over there, that new, that new young kid, he's like Hitler. He's just running everything and he's dictating and all that. And I never tried to be that way, but I could see how maybe they would see that. And I know a lot of my buddies that are even still to this day dealing with such things through change and growth. But I had a decision to make. And a lot of guys said, man, just, just keep moving, push those guys away. Just toss them out, throw them out, stiff arm them, man, keep running, just stiff arm them. I never felt right about that in my spirit because I never felt like that's what Jesus would do with the antagonist. So I went the other way. And I've made a lot of mistakes in this, but I learned some good lessons. I decided I'm going to pull those guys real close. So the guys that were the most hateful and the most ugly and the most negative, if there was ever any need, I was the first guy at their door. The first guy at the hospital for them, spouse, grandkids, whatever. I was the first guy when they had a need around the farm to go do it. Whatever it was, cut it, pick it, pluck it, plant it, whatever they needed, I was going to be the first guy. And in time, and because it, it really did hurt. You know, when people talk about you and, and it's public and we were televised there and, and it hurts your feelings because you think God's up to something great here. What are you worried about? And you understand people worry about funny things in church. Their pew. Well, we just tore it down. It's gone. You don't have it anymore. Over time, the Lord began to do something in my heart. And those people that I didn't want to get up and go, and I didn't want to be the first guy in line to help, over time my heart began to soften, and I realized, you know what, I actually care about this person and this family. And I think something else happened, and I, think, and I didn't tell Cindy I was going to share this, and I certainly would never use names, but I think we would both agree that in time, as my heart softened to them, their heart softened to me. And in 11 years of ministry there, I, don't, I cannot tell you who we lost. Maybe a handful of people in 11 years, other than through death. People just didn't pour out of that church because I think love covers a multitude of sins. That's biblical. I didn't handle it perfectly, but I'll tell you the truth. In time, and especially by the time I stood at a pulpit, over their caskets, and there were several. I wept real tears 
I didn't have to fake anything because I did love those guys. And I believe those guys that were now in glory really loved me too. Really loved my family. And the names subsided and the issues slowed down and really stopped for much of our ministry. And so many guys I know are still in that. And you may not be a pastor of a church and you may not have to deal with that kind of thing publicly, but you have to deal with stuff. And sometimes your, your response is, I'm going to just stiff arm you, I'm going to keep you at distance, I'm going to build a wall, I just don't need to do that. And I would encourage you, instead of raising a stiff arm, why don't you raise both arms and, and embrace them? I, you, you don't know what they did to me, you don't know how bad it was, you don't know what they did to my wife, my kids, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. They didn't nail you to a tree, man. They didn't put a crown of thorns on your head. Probably they didn't spit on you, though a few people have wanted to spit on me at times. I wouldn't recommend it. And if Jesus can look down and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, I'm sure we can find a place to forgive and move on in our heart, in our, in our life. Because when the world is watching, and they're watching, they need to see us love one another. I haven't figured this out perfectly, but I have figured something that if we can pull some folks close, the Bible proverbially would tell us this, by the way. The Bible would tell us this, that we, if we can pull them close and we can genuinely try to love them, because sometimes you just fake it till you make it. I'm going to be honest with you. You just, man, I, I'm having a hard time here, Lord. I need your love. God, thank, thank you for that. Thank you for giving me this. Lord, I really do love this person. See, when you get knocked around, what comes spilling out as the band joins me on stage is your heart full of the love of Christ or is your heart more like Cain where you look with envy and suspicion and hatred? God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't wait until we came begging for forgiveness. Oh, I'm sorry, Jesus. Please die for me. Please forgive me. No, he went all the way before we ask. And some of you are waiting on people to come to you. And you're likely going to wait too long. Is love really a secondhand emotion? Absolutely not. What's love got to do with it? Everything. Stand with me this morning. Invitation is pretty simple today. Look, if you need to say yes to Jesus, pastors will be here. Cindy and I will be down here. We're going to put you with a great counselor and help you say yes to the Lord. Without Jesus, you don't have the resources to do any of this stuff. Some of you need to lay some things before the Lord. Somebody's been laid on your heart. And rather than keep pushing them away, pushing them away, why don't you seek to embrace them, to draw close? I don't mean be obnoxious about it. But I mean, ask God to open a door of opportunity for you to draw them back. He may just find that you really have love in your heart for that person because it's not a feeling, it's a choice. And you may find that they have love in their heart. So often we want to think the worst of others, though. I want you to be brave. Some of you are going to say, well, if I walk forward, people will think I'm broken and have a problem. Listen, man, we're all broken. We all got problems, so just come on and join the party. Some of you need to come and pray for others, too, as an intercessor. And you need to lay some folks down. You've got a, a, a person in your life 
that's struggling relationally. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And you're, you're thinking, you're going to go home and you're going to say, Honey, did you talk to the preacher about me? Honey, did you? No. I talked to God about you, though. I pray to God every week that the plane will land on somebody's heart, not just your toes. I'm aiming higher. That the plane will land right there. It'll tap you right there in the seat of your heart, and you will do your business with the Lord. And leave this place changed, man. I know you can, because I know God is able. So when I say amen, would you come if you feel so led? Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for the word, and I thank you that it is truth with no mixture of error. I pray that you would move in the hearts of the people here at Grace today, and even those watching online, they would reach out, that we would be able to walk with them for a new day. God, we love you, and love has everything to do with it. But it has to be love within the limits of your word and how you define love. And we know, Lord, that if we don't love you, we'll never truly love our brother. If we don't love others, that's an indication that our heart is not right with you. So help us now lay it before your throne and seek healing from your hand. In Jesus' name, amen.